The views and ideas expressed in this program are views expressly of the people sharing them and not of the anchor or of that of this broadcaster. All persons, juristic or natural, are to be held responsible for their own representations offered on this program by their agents and not this corporation. Any and all consumption of our conversational substance is entirely at your own discretion. Please be advised that this program airs subject matter that has the potential to destabilize and challenge your intellectual equilibrium. If you are excitable, profound caution when consuming our subject matter is advised. Participation in this program is a voluntary enterprise and as such is expected to be considered and deliberated on. Kindly note that, just as the anchor is, all participants, guests and callers are encouraged to engage in this our freedom of expression and any of our civil liberties responsibly. So, um, I, I was speaking earlier as we started the show that we're going to be having a conversation around the Portuguese superstar, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, who has recently completed his move to the Middle, Middle East, uh, joining the Saudi Arabian team Al Nassar Football Club on a two-and-a-half-year deal worth an estimated 200 million euros a year. That's a lot of money. I don't even want to convert it. It might uh, break my brain or calculator at the way things are going with the RAND. There has been allegations uh, that are making the rounds that the soccer star and his girlfriend, uh, Georgina Rodriguez, now may be allowed to break Saudi Arabian laws. The Saudi Arabian law is known for its very strict and cultural customs, right? It's a very strict uh, when it comes to uh, the things that are, are permitted and not permitted. One of those that are forbidden is unmarried individuals living together, very similar to what in Indonesia is implementing. So Saudi Arabia legal experts have uh, reportedly confirmed that uh, the Saudi authorities will turn a blind eye or pretend they don't know so that they can accommodate one of the greatest football players of all time allowing him and his partner to settle into their first luxury property together and uh, we want to understand i mean and get a, a better you know view on the, the saudi arabian laws and if this could be a possibility we are joined by Dr. Kuresha Ishmael Suleiman, who is the Deputy Director at the Centre for Mediation in Africa at the University of Pretoria. She has channeled much of her work to the study of violence and conflict and how it manifests. She has also focused on issues um, of Islamophobia and uh, decoloniality. Um, Kuresha, Dr. Ish, uh, Suleiman um, has also... Um, committed to local issues of conflict and injustice and was an active participant in the hashtag fees must fall protest so it is a great pleasure having her on the line thank you very much dr suleiman for joining us thank you patricia thank you for inviting me could you please give us an understanding of the saudi arabian laws especially that uh, which govern the non you know cohabitation of people who are not married Okay, so basically, let's just contextualize everything because we can't just start at a particular point and carry on forward as South Africans living in a context of uh, post-apartheid um, and uh, well now neo-apartheid. You understand that history is very important. Mm. Uh, when you contextualize it, you try to understand something that is different. And ultimately, I do hope that the desire to understand what is different is so that we can find a, a common space in which we can live together and in tolerance. 
Okay, so Saudi Arabia is firstly a Muslim-majority country, um, 100% Muslims, that's its uh, citizenship. And so it is guided by Islamic legal uh, rulings. Um, there is, of course, a contestation amongst the Muslim scholars as to whether we can say that uh, Sharia, you know, it is, is it Sharia or is it Islamic law that governs most of these Muslim-majority countries? There are many scholars who say that Sharia is different from Islamic law because Sharia is that which is the divine law as given by God. And so the full understanding of it um, is within God himself. But that man who uh, submits to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he understands and interprets this law. And that interpretation is then called Islamic law. So Saudi Arabia is governed by Islamic law. And its legal system therefore follows um, the precepts, the ethics, the moral code, and the values as established by Islam. And Islam is a deen. And we choose not to use the word religion because religion is actually a colonial term mm-hmm. that very specifically differentiates state from spirituality. And Islam is not that. Deen is comprehensive. It's all-inclusive. So being a Muslim means that I am in that state and that my spirituality governs me in all spheres of my life and so I cannot separate my political life, my social life, my economic life, etc. from my spirituality, okay? Mm-hmm. So within this context of deen, there are uh, certain ethical codes and moral codes and those ethical codes which you're coming to right now in the moral code is that the foundation of any system uh, specifically the most important system in any system in the world is the family. So the family is the first and fundamental system in which uh, cooperation, society, um, community, etc. is developed. So it develops, it begins with the family, and the most important components of a family are husband and wife. So you have a responsibility to each other, and that's why in Islam, marriage is called, um, it's actually a contract. It's a misak ghalida, it's a very heavy contract which means you have an absolute obligation and responsibility to your partner once you undertake this contract. Now, Saudi Arabia has forbidden uh, cohabitation, and that would apply in terms of its Islamic laws to its citizens. Now, you will say that uh, Ronaldo is going to become a citizen or has been given residence in so perhaps it is that these laws will apply to him. I'm not a full expert on the technicalities of the Saudi law, uh, but I would assume that there would be certain aspects of the law which would need to be recognized and observed. So the fact that it is common knowledge that he, his partner and he are not married, um, yes. So that brings a question to the Saudi people. It's, you know, it's, uh, we, the rest of the Western world is making a big hoo-ha about it. But the real question is, what do the Saudi citizens feel about this, and what do they think about it? Generally, as a Muslim, you should be tolerant, so you cannot impose your views on Ronaldo or anybody else, and that he's coming into your country as a guest. He should be respected. What he does in his bedroom or in his house is his business, and it's his problem, so he should be allowed to do that. But the minute they step out of the house, they're then in public property in a society which is governed by Islamic law and whose citizens respect that law and whose citizens demand that law. So it's not imposed on them, but it is a preferred law by the citizens of that country, which means then there needs to be a certain amount of respect. That respect will then come to your question, and I'm preempting this, Patricia, I hope you don't mind, about, about women, how they dress, how they present themselves, is there a freedom for women, etc. 
Islamic women are expected to be moderately dressed, which means that ultimately your beauty, uh, everything of your beauty, is private. It's for your home, for your spouse, for your family, and it is not for outside view. So a woman is judged not on what she looks like, but who she is. That would preempt another question, I know, because Saudi Arabia is controversial. What about women's rights in Saudi Arabia? Do they respect it? Afghanistan, they're closing the universities, etc. That comes to the debate about how the Sharia is then interpreted. And many of these countries, of course, they uh, use religion as a tool, um, as a currency to, to maintain or to wield political power. And this, the deen of Islam, the Sharia of Islam, is then, you know, warped in many instances. It is twisted, it's abused, and you cannot say that there's any country here that has a perfect interpretation of it. But there are, of course, challenges to the way in which the, the Sharia is being uh, interpreted. And as you can see, that in a vast majority of Muslim-majority countries, you don't find those restrictive uh, regulations that are in Saudi Arabia as they are in the rest of the Muslim-majority countries. So does that mean that Islam is particularistic only to Saudi Arabia and that the rest of the Muslim-majority countries are wrong, or that the rest of the Muslim-majority countries who don't observe and do the same things as Saudi Arabia, are they right in Saudi Arabia is wrong? And then all of that comes again down to interpretation of how the Sharia has been interpreted by the particular, particularly, uh, particular elites who set up um, these particular rules. And you must remember that Saudi Arabia uh, is like any other colonized country. Um, it is considered by certain historians, uh, strangely enough, to be the first modern state uh, that has been um, what, they, what he speaks about that has been created by jihad, the only modern nation state created by jihad. And Saudi Arabia received the support of Britain and America to overthrow the Ottomans. So uh, its political founding, of course, has a colonial mentality to it, and that colonial mentality then affects the Islamic interpretation, and Islam has been colonized. So <laughs> that's a very long, uh, short answer to what you are. So, Dr. Suleiman, my my thinking is, if we're a society that practices a particular law, whether it's based on our religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs or cultural beliefs, but this is the law, and someone with such great influence, because we know how influential soccer stars are, um, and and any other stars for that matter of fact, but uh, the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, he's very influential on young people. Well, then the, the fact that he's exempt, and yes, uh, as you are putting it, in Islam, people are not going to superimpose themselves, they will not judge, but will then that not bring in enticement for the younger um, generation or even the influenced ones to want to revolt against the laws that speak against cohabitation? Um Patricia, Ronaldo is not the only example. Young people and societies today are exposed to all sorts of things in every possible way, in all different mediums. I mean, Saudi Arabia youth, the citizens, are of the most, uh, some of them are most of, of the most affluent. Many of them have access to mobile phones, to data. You can get access to almost anything, uh, you know, you want. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, on, whatever you can access via the, the media platforms. So all of those things can influence them, that can affect them, that can change them. But I, I speak from an Islamic point of view, and I must say that I'm unapologetically Muslim. 
and that once you uh, you know understand and embrace the religion it's a commitment between you and your creator and you understand the laws and the regulations yes human beings are weak and the quran says that in insana daif that certainly man is weak and that we will succumb we will we will succumb to temptation we will rebel against certain things etc but ultimately what is your foundation and your grounding if you are grounded in islam and islamic values islamic ethics then no the youth are not going to rebel to that they're going to say that's his choice that's his way of living uh, he is not a muslim uh, that's his understanding and then we are different. This is how we do things, and, and we do things differently. This is not to say that they are saintly. I am pretty sure that there are many who are engaged in activities which are not within the moral codes of Islam. So, but to brush, to paintbrush an entire society on the actions of a few or to negate an entire society on the presence of one, I think that is a, is a grave mistake. We need to understand that this society has been exposed to a hell of a lot. I mean, the modern world, you know, it's a glass house. Everybody knows what's happening in everybody's lives and what everybody is doing. And have they made the choice to go down that path, to rebel against Islamic laws, to question it? No, they haven't. There are certain things that is being questioned. They are forced to be more, um, they're being exposed to certain uh, behaviors of this, which is considered uh, ultra-Orthodox or maybe too controversial in the sense that it is way too dogmatic and it's not really Islam. For example, the laws which they had about women not being able to drive, not being able to travel to the mahram, those are not Islamic. Those are you know, uh, cultural and, and customary laws that have been imposed on the woman. So yes, those have been rebelled against, but whether the youth will stand up and rebel against the right to cohabitate with somebody, with somebody that you know, you're not married to, I very much doubt that. And now when, when it comes to the culture of sports in uh, Saudi Arabia, how big is it uh, for them to want to spend so much money on <laughs> one player? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I know they love their soccer, they are crazy about soccer, but whether it's only more in the uh, you know urban, more developed areas, and does it affect the more rural areas of Saudi Arabia? Because there are vast amounts of rural areas where you have the Bedouin, who are still very much you know the tribal areas of Saudi Arabia, where you have people who are not as connected to the urbanization and modernization uh, of the world as you see in our urban areas. It's much exactly the same like as what we have in South Africa and many African countries. Whether they are so fascinated or captivated by soccer, I don't know. And I doubt so very much because they're very nomadic, they're tribal, they're you know, hand-to-mouth living, etc. But certainly in the developed areas, uh, in the suburbs, the youth are very fascinated with soccer. They enjoy their sports. There is that culture, the thriving culture. And, and, and perhaps this has been done is to try and draw them into uh, um, a more sport-orientated mode. Because you must remember, in many ways, the Saudi Arabian society has decayed in a sense uh, because of its very dogmatic, uh, some of the very dogmatic laws which they introduced and which I said are not Islamic. And so they have, uh, in a way, strangled their societies in a, in a bit and maybe trying to now get the youth out to, to redirect them. They're trying to perhaps use sports as a means of enticing this new generation. And 
in my opinion, it's, it's a good approach. I know they spent a fortune, but and, and I would very much question that money and what they're doing with it because it can be used in other ways. But if they feel they're entitled to do that and they feel it's going to help the youth to develop, well, then let's see how it plays out. I don't know if you've um, gone much deeper into uh, Ronaldo's placement in this new football club in Saudi Arabia. Will there be a, a cultural, you know, uh, what lessons, crash course, uh, as he's entered into the country? Because as much as the the law is not going to necessarily apply to him uh, and his girlfriend, but there's so many other things that are not permitted in Saudi Arabia. And what then happens if he breaks them? So will there be a crash course on acclimatizing him to the laws? You know, no. I, I, there were people uh, making Saudi Arabia a bit more than what it actually is. If you look at Riyadh, don't think of, of Saudi Arabia only as one city as Mecca and Medina. No, Saudi Arabia has Riyadh, it has Jeddah. There's a whole lot of non-Muslims living there. There's expats, uh, you know, populating large, uh, large parts of the cities, the Mam, where you have the oil, etc. All of these people have been, and, and these are non-Muslims. You know, Western non-Muslims coming to work in Saudi Arabia, living there, they haven't had crash courses in uh, cultural adaptivity or, uh, you know, sensitivity to Islam and things like that, because it's nothing really difficult. Let me tell you now, Patricia, Islam is a way of life that is very compatible to any way of life in the in the Western modern world, except that it is ruled and governed by particular practices, which we call uh, as derived by the Sharia. And those practices are so so simple to understand. It's about being good to your guests. It's about being respectful to your parents, looking after the poor, uh, that you're not a good believer if your neighbor goes hungry. Um, you know, um, educate yourself because the first instruction given to the Prophet Muhammad was Ikra uh, read, so we understand that education is important. It's simple, basic things found in any of the Abrahamic faiths. There's nothing different to that. So, I mean, if you know, if you if you're a human being, then then you you can easily adapt to what uh, Islamic practices are all about. Certain things that he might have to be taught about, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know how you know what's his understanding of um, religious respect, tolerance, respect for women. In certain things you go into certain cultures. There's a particular way in which you speak to or address women, or you don't address women. Uh, there's a certain way in which you will maybe greet the tribal chief or the uh, the the or the the religious sheikh. All of all our cultures have certain peculiarities, and whether, whether it's important to him or not, whether it will affect him or not, I can't answer that. But what I'm saying is that perhaps when he encounters it, uh, yes, he will be guided to it. But generally, basic living, I don't think it will be any challenge at all. Uh, perhaps he might be actually very surprised and very positively influenced because my personal opinion, and that's speaking as a, from a Muslim point of view, is that Islam is a beautiful religion within to love and from which to be guided by. Let me go to the lines. We've got Vui Iswa, who's in Parktown. Good evening, Vui Iswa. Good evening, Patricia, and to your guest there, and to the listeners. I, I think we we have uh, we have they have been exposed uh, the the Saudi Arabia to, uh, to 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 contradict themselves or, or the law, or God's law, or the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Uh, because their men uh, have worked in those regions where they saw in BBC World Service, uh, they are men from Mauritania, from Pakistan, from Africa, Sudan, all over. They are not allowed to bring in women. Neither do they are not allowed to 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 
to have girlfriends there. Once that is found, they, they, they are executed. Uh, I know of a guy who ran away, he's, a, he's an Ivorian from Cote d'Ivoire. He ran away at night being helped by another uh, Saudi Arabian man who smuggled him out of the country when he was supposed to because he had slept with a girl whom he was not married to. So, for me... Why did uh, he run away? Was he scared of being persecuted? Stoned? Yeah, they were about to... They were going to execute him. And it happens a lot to the African brothers uh, from Sudan, from Mauritania, from Pakistanis, Bangladesh, and Nepal. This is happening. And uh, why Ronaldinho is... Because he's a prominent figure. Uh, I mean, the law of God in in other religions, it says, I'm immutable, you know, changeable. Because how do you change now God's slope just because you want to accommodate this prominent figure? Sure. All right. Thank you for sharing, Vuiswa. Uh, let me come back to you, Dr. Suleiman, as we wrap up our conversation. Vuiswa is giving her experience of uh, being uh-huh. in the areas of Saudi Arabia where people ran, had to run away to save their lives because they were found uh, fornicating because it was uh, sexual acts out of marriage. So okay, but but then she she mm-hmm. yeah, but she mentioned that he was a religious person, right? I mean, he was a Muslim person. He was not a non-Muslim living in Saudi Arabia. So that's why I said right at the start, I said mm-hmm. that the laws of the of the country would govern the citizens of the country who ascribe to that particular religion. And so, if you're not of the same religion, if you're not a Muslim by identification, then of course the, the Islamic law cannot apply to you. Um, and that's why, if you question the Saudi authorities too, they will tell you that we're not turning a blind eye in the sense per se, but that these laws are in place for very practical reasons. The one practical reason is that if they if say, for example, domestic violence, how do you then legislate on that? What legal uh, you know approach do you take? Because Saudi Arabia has an Islamic legal system, so how how do we then adjudicate on that particular case in terms of it's a boyfriend and a girlfriend, but Islamic law does not allow that. So that's why there are things that you need to consider the practicality of living in those situations. Um, also, the reason that is, you know they don't want this cohabitation is not because they uh, you know uh, are backward. If you look at it, Islamic uh, principles are quite clear. The reason that you know premarital sex, etc., is not allowed, or that marriage out and that uh, sexual relations, etc., cohabitation out of marriage is not permitted, is because there are real consequences, and those real consequences are present today in the fact that men. You know, uh, go around sleeping with women or women who sleep around with men. In many instances, people have children. The children grow up, don't know who the father is. Say, for instance, something happens to the mother and never she, she's not able to explain who the father is. These children grow up and the father has other children in another city with another woman, etc. And these children meet up somewhere along the line because the world is small, it's a global village. Today, what can happen is that children, brothers and sisters, can end up marrying each other, can be, end up living with each other, can end up, a father can end up, you know, uh, marrying his daughter or having sexual relations with his daughter because he does not know that that child is his. So that's why I see right at the start to protect the very essence of humanity the starting point of the, the the fundamental structure of society is the family unit and you need to get that right and that's why marriage is such an important component of the islamic structure so there are many things that context needs to be kept in mind when judging saudi arabia judging any muslim majority country judging ronaldo and his presence in the country 
these are things that, you know, it's deeper than just simply a right about a man and a woman or a right to cohabitat or a right to whatever. All rights have limitations. No right is absolute. A right that infringes on other rights will then be considered you know, within the context of that legal parameter in which that like, right has been created. And we see that here, too, in the way the Constitutional Court has been judging recently in terms of social justice issues. So we need to keep this in mind, not be small-minded, you know, closed mind. And yes, the, the pastor who called earlier, that certainly comes to a different to things. There are many Muslim-majority countries, they interpret the Sharia in different ways. Some take punishment, physical punishment, some don't. You will find, for example, Indonesia, Iran, Maldives, and Qatar behave in one way. Iran, Mauritania, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, and Sudan, Pakistan, Afghanistan, they behave in another way. There isn't a uniform way in which all of them behave. And this is, again, specifically, first, who is the political elite? How was the political regime established? Who is running that state and on what purpose? Is religion used for political ends? How is the religion being interpreted? So to come and blame Islam or to come and put, you know, a blight on a religious identity of particular people, that is incorrect. And I'm, I'm vehemently stating this because this is the decoloniality school that we are practicing now. We are arguing in, from this particular lenses is that when you look at a situation, don't look at it only from the narrow point of view. You've got to consider the entire context, look at the history, look at the establishment, and then you look at it parallelly, both you know, from, from the global south perspective and the global, view, uh, global north perspective, and then you make an assumption or then you draw a conclusion. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Suleiman, for joining us and shedding light on this. Thank you very much, Patricia, for having this. And I must say that when the question came to me, I was actually I had to pause and I had to like think about this because it's not something I have thought about. So mm. you gave me food for thought today. Thank you. Well, it's been food for thought for all of us. Thank you very much. It's uh, 34 minutes uh, after eight, and we are continuing with a series that uh, started last week. It's a very interesting one. Okay. Mm.